Our next witness is uh, Sharon Vickner. Uh, Ms. Vickner, can I just get you to state your full name and then spell your first and last names? I am Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, family name Vickner, V as in Victor, I-C-K-N-E-R. And do you promise to tell the whole truth? The, the truth, whole the whole truth, truth and, and nothing no but the truth? So help me God. Uh, can you tell us where you're from? Born and raised in Winnipeg. And what type of uh, trade or profession do I you do? Am, I am an ISA certified arborist. Okay. Um, now I understand you were impacted quite a bit from the COVID-19 response, uh, particularly regarding your employment, and I guess I would say your general well-being. Can you tell us a bit about what happened to your employment in 2020? What was going on at that time? Um, well, I did lose my job in November 2020. Um, I can only speculate as to why. Um, I was um, removed from my position, so I can't make a direct comment on the employer's part other than he said it was a financial um, concern. But prior to myself losing my job in November 2020, um, uh, it was in November, and um, it was a Wednesday, and myself and my employer had met up to discuss um, my success of the 2020 season, uh, which I did phenomenal. And um, he gave me my new business cards and a gas card for the company vehicle. We went over how we were going to um, attack the sales of the following year. And that was a Wednesday. On that Friday, Pallister went on the television and said, don't be surprised if we start naming names of those that got tickets during this COVID. The following week, I was told that I was no longer needed, and I lost my job. And I understand you were working in sales at that time, is that right? Mostly, yes, absolutely, yes. I was doing the sales for the tree care. And your, your employment would involve you attending to your customers and doing estimates, is that right? Yes, um, absolutely, and that's where my um, bulk of my mental health started to decline. Um, uh, the season for me in 2020 started for work in March, and as did a lot of the uh, talks about, you know, a potential Chinese Wuhan flu or whatever you want to call it, um, came about. And so while I was going to visit um, strangers, for the most part to me, of course, um, I was consistently from March all the way to November hearing stories, um, unsolicited stories about the traumas that family members were going through with um, not being able to visit their family members in a care home or a hospital or travel to go visit a sick relative or the thing, there's, two, there's one story that really, actually two stories that really stuck hard in my mind um, that I haven't really been able to shake, I guess that's PTSD, um, is this one incredible woman went on to tell me, she was 84 years old and she was so happy to see me and she went on she, she went on to tell me that she came from a communist country and she's got adult grandchildren and 
She, her grandchildren are interested in her history, so she was telling her about what communism was about and why they fled from the country and, and all the signs um, and what, what she's seeing, what's happening in Canada and the rest of the world right now. And her own daughter told her that if she continued talking to her grandchildren about this stuff, that she would never allow her to see her grandchildren again. Um, so we cried <laughs> together because... Um, the grandchildren were a huge part of her life. And another quick scenario was on this other gentleman. He was in his 80s as well. He had a, a wife that um, was extremely involved in community and uh, philanthropy. And um, she's been a huge uh, name in the city of Winnipeg, actually, which I will not name. And um, she had passed away. And at that time, there was only allowed 10 people to attend a funeral. And he, I cried with him for probably 45 minutes uh, because he loved her so much that he felt that she deserved more respect than 10 people, and um, he never did have a service for her. So that's just two out of probably 100 stories that um, I should have wrote a book, actually. So just to summarize, you would visit with your customers and... yes. Invariably, they would tell you their stories. Yes, and, just, and I guess, um, I don't know, maybe they just see my kind heart, <laughs> my yeah. nature. Um, I, I never once talked um, about my personal opinions or what was going on in this world to any of the uh, clients or potential clients. I was there as a professional, not as a, a, a person walking down the street sharing an opinion. So, yes, I was invited to a yard to do an estimate for tree work. And um, would, I, would it be fair to say that you got involved in some, some type of advocacy work, invo involved in the community about some issues you had noticed going on? Absolutely, I certainly did. Um, well, everything was starting to ramp up um, in 2020 where there was um, masking this, stand on a dot, follow these arrows, don't see this person, go tell on your neighbors. Um, I realized that my fam, my friends that I, I thought were my friends since junior high and elementary school, for that matter, um, were really not my friends any longer um, because I didn't stand on any dots or follow any arrow or anything like that. So um, I was driven um, internally. Um, I'm going to say this on record. <laughs> I was never a girl that was of um, faith and good things, I guess, do happen out of these scenarios. The Lord found me. And when that happened, when that happened, um, my, the Lord actually told me that I had a voice and I had a heart in the right place. And I definitely started standing up with, um, in, in an advocacy sense of just educating and sharing love and whatever I could do at that time. Would I be right in saying that you got some tickets <laughs> as a result of that? Yeah, about $19,000 worth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, um, yes. That's not what's causing me my mental traumas, though. That's just part and parcel. I, I, it's, I knew what I was getting into when um, I took a microphone or a bullhorn in my hand. I knew the possibilities. I just had hoped that the benefits of building communities um, within the fringe minority um, I thought we could um, band together and, and find that unity where we could. Uh, now, you mentioned that uh, you lost your job. Mm -hmm. Was it October 2020? 
It was November November. Tw November 2020. Okay. Was there anything going on in uh, social media at this time uh, regarding your advocacy? Or? In what respect? Well, you had mentioned that you'd been trying oh, yeah. to find your voice in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just wondering if there's increased attention on you at all at well, that time. Uh, yes and no, actually. I didn't, for the first while, I didn't even use my name <laughs> um, at all. I never really said it. Um, and then uh, when it comes to social media, it just shows you about what's going on with censorship um, way back then um, and, and hatred in the sense that some complete stranger ended up finding me. I don't know, Kobe something or other. I don't know. I don't know who this guy is. Um, he ended up getting a picture of me with the company's logo on it and he posted it and said don't hire this girl and he really slammed my character really defamation of character in the big scheme of things um so that forced me to um i guess i should have just totally gotten off of facebook so forgive me my friends i stayed on <laughs> but i did change my name um, because i didn't want any fallout um if someone you know searched me and found that I was standing up um, for what I believe to be the truth. Um, and do you recall when that happened on social media? I'm just thinking about the timeline of uh, mm -hmm. your job situation. Right, and that happened just prior about uh, actually um, I had to rethink that and it was about the very beginning of November when that occurred because I ended up telling my employer about it mm. because I wanted him to know where I stood professionally and that this individual had done this to me and that I had taken my picture off that stated the company I was working for um, and I changed my name so that there wouldn't be any backlash to his um, his business or his potential clients. No, in, in your mind why do you think you lost your job? You might have touched on that before but Again, um, I can only speculate, but it, it's just some say there are no coincidences and I can't help but think that um, he was concerned that I may be unprofessional when I go to visit clients that while well, I'm representing his business. Now I understand, um, unfortunately, you, you actually got arrested. Was that May 2021, around that time? Yes, it was. Yeah, May 28th, I believe. Can you describe that experience to us? <laughs> well, um, thanks to James reminding me of something. Um, I want to say that, uh, uh, firstly, uh, I, I was not aware that I was on an arrest warrant. One of the others that were on the arrest warrant told me I was. <laughs> Apparently, everyone else got a phone call to... Um, turn themselves in. I didn't do that. I didn't even get the phone call. I didn't even know until one of the fellows um, mentioned it to me. And um, anyway, um, without going through that whole long process, um, I did um, get apprehended or arrested, I guess it's called. I don't know. I've never been arrested before. Um, and it was interesting because when um, the police had put, put me in handcuffs and they put me in the car, um, they weren't wearing masks. I certainly wasn't, of course. And the first thing the police officers said to me, they said, do you know how pissed off we are? And I went, what do you mean? Because I'm like a little talking girl, right? Like, I'll tell them anything, right? And I have nothing to hide. And they said, do you know what fentanyl is? And I said, I absolutely have heard of it, yes. And he says, we're the drug squad, and we're here arresting you. 
I couldn't believe that. What a, and I just point blank told them, what a waste of taxpayers' money. You're supposed to be taking dangerous drugs off the street, and you're throwing me, uh, a law-abiding citizen, into jail. And then so when I ended up getting into the, um, I'll, I'll speed this up, I'm sorry, Kyle, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a talker and I'm a little nervous. It's okay, um, go ahead. Um, when I did get out of the police car and they put me um, in the elevator, this is where the psychological whirlwind really began. Um, they put me in this elevator and there was initially two police officers that were tending to me, the ones in the, in the, in the car. But when I got into the elevator, there were six others and me. And it was like they did that intentionally. And as soon as I was walking into the elevator, they said, now get in here and face the corner and don't say a word. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, knowing me, I can't bite my tongue. And I just told them that it was how humiliating. This makes absolutely no sense that you're doing this just for a freedom fighter, right? So anyway, long and the short of all of that, I ended up, of course, going through the, the, the scenario that they do, pat you down, la, 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 la. And um, it's just full of lies. And I guess it's, that's what police officers do. So I'm not here to diss them for if that's the proper procedure where they don't really tell you the truth, how long you're going to be there. And anyway, I ended up getting put into a cell. And um, it was kind of disgusting, actually. I had to call them and tell them that, you know, you clearly know the character of who you're dealing with. Like the, the, the floor had grossness all over it. It was a really vile room. Anyway, um, I had to use the washroom, and this female cop walks me to the washroom, and the, the toilet is completely up to the top, filled with, ugh. And I, and I just said, oh, you got to do something about this. And she said, well, she rolled her eyes, and she said, so? You, got, you either got to go or you don't. We only clean it once a day. Well, that's a lie, of course. Anyway, that's, I know that's not what you wanted to hear, but um, so um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> The whole thing is really <laughs> kind of boggling my mind about uh, being in jail. I haven't really wanted to think about it too much. Um, so I guess what the, the hardest part on me where it really started to stir my, my mental health was um, clearly um, they had direction to cause me distress. And again, I don't know if this is normal. I really have no idea. So if it's normal, I guess it's just not normal for me. Um, I was in detention or the cell or whatever you want to call it for, I believe it was anywhere from 15 to 18 hours. I think it was a total of 18 hours I was in jail. And um, every five minutes, someone came and banged on the windows. And I'm not talking just a little tap. I know someone says, oh, they're just making sure you're not you know, dead or whatever, right? But they knew why I was there. But every five minutes, they were banging on the window. And I'm going to say it, forgive me women in the room, but the women were the worst. They actually took their keys out and they crash, crash, crash every five minutes. And I know that they had to have been directed to do this because there was a billboard, a clipboard um, on the side of the wall and I could see them sign it and I could hear them flick the paper. And there was about 45 different officers throughout that whole time or 45 times they did that anyway. So. Um, you were arrested because you you were getting tickets for gathering outside. Is that right? Yeah, I Out, think uh, outdoor gatherings. Yeah, I think it was uh, P two ten. I think was the bylaw infraction of in um, inciting gatherings. I think in May twenty twenty one there was a gathering planned for the legislature here in Manitoba. 
And that's why an ex a warrant was executed to arrest you? Would that be right to um, say that? I'm uncertain exactly because they never told me any of that. Not only that, they didn't even read me my rights when they put me in the car either. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's what I had heard, that it was, um, it was on May, I think it was just before May 15th, because the, last, mm -hmm. the out, last event that I had something to do with that I was an organizer for, me and my team, was um, May 15th. And then, um, yes, I believe the following one was the legislature, and then the very final one on the 28th was um, the day that they actually um, detained me. Now, you were released on bail. Yes. And I understand there was a particularly onerous condition of your bail? Yes, that is correct. And that's the one that really, that, that's the one that um, I'm, I'm, part of me is em embarrassed to admit what, I went through, but um, I guess this is what mental health does. When you're a positive person and you've never had to deal with things like this um, and always around people and always have a friendship circle, it's extremely difficult. So on one of my release conditions, um, I was not allowed to be on public or private property in private or public gatherings with anyone other than which I reside. I lived alone. So that meant I couldn't be anywhere at any time with anyone, or I'd be criminally charged. I would have been thrown in jail. So when they gave me that, um, when I was gonna be released, I'm, I signed, I wanted to get out of there. I did not want to stay there any longer. So when I, was in, when I went to sign the documents, I wrote under duress, because I certainly was. And um, then they called me back in front of the magistrate and said, well, you clearly need to call your lawyer. And I said, what do you mean? You know, because you signed under duress. And I said, no, actually, I, I read it, and I just don't agree with it, and this is why I'm signing under duress. And I told them all the reasons as to why I signed under duress. And they kept me there for about another hour after I had done that. How long was this uh, bail condition in effect? Uh, one week short of a year. Um, can you tell us what your experience was during that year? <laughs> as difficult as it might be. Well, um, it just pulled me out of any kind of support system. I wasn't allowed to, um, aside from that particular um, uh, release condition, the others on the um, arrest warrant, one was my spiritual guide, um, Pastor Tobias Thiessen. I was not allowed to phone him, contact him at all, so I couldn't have any spiritual support from someone that I trusted. Um, a friend of mine also on there, I hope this is okay that I mentioned Dr. Jerry Brahimier. He was also on there and a huge support to me as well, and I was not allowed to be in contact with him either, nor was he in, with me. Um, and my family had written me off because I had ended up in the paper, and they had said that I had dissed the family name. Oh, I didn't realize we were that important. <laughs> but So they wrote me off, and they still don't talk to me. Um, so what had ended up happening where um, I lost my job, no one was hiring me because a small industry, I guess, I don't know, word gets around maybe, or more importantly, my confidence was destroyed. 
So I went to a very, very dark place, which I had no idea I even had capability to do that. Um, I, the first time that actually happened, I just wanted to disappear because I honestly, no one would have really known because I wasn't allowed to be anywhere anyway. I overcame that. And then it kind of spiraled more when more of the like harassment in stores, for example, I'm sorry, but I did not wear a mask. I know how to take care of my health. I don't need something like that on me. It's just a suppression mask. But um, I was attacked verbally over and over again by managers and customers and the hatred in people's eyes. Oh my gosh, I, I, the trauma that so many people must be going through. I was taking that on my own self as it's painful to see people treat others like that, but this time it was being treated to me. So um, it actually got to the point where, um, forgive me, Lord, <laughs> Um, it actually got to the point where um, I couldn't deal with it anymore because I couldn't handle what was happening to those around me. I, I took me out of the equation, actually, and I couldn't handle seeing children with masks on their face and little babies and just all of the above that most of us know exactly what I'm talking about. I actually thought, what would be the quickest way? What would be the quickest way that I could end my life? And I thought, oh, heroin. I'll just get a needle and I'll shove it in my arm and I'll die instantly. No, I did not look for it. No, did I go any further than that. But the thought entered my mind. And just knowing that a thought like that entered my mind added to my mental health decline because I had no idea. I'm a loving person. I'm a peaceful person. I love life. I love nature. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think something like that could come. I guess that's the devil for you, right, folks? But hallelujah, um, I think what really got me out of that is um, when you truly put your faith in something greater than yourself, you start to feel a hand on your shoulder when there's really no one there. So I am not just, I want to get this on record, I am of no harm to myself, and I am of healthy, sound mind. I just want to make sure people know that I'm, don't be concerned. I love life, and I'm here for a long time. <laughs> I think we're pretty tight for time. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you thought could have been done differently regarding the COVID-19 response. I don't know if you have anything quick you want to say. I do. I just want, I know I'm not supposed to have a piece of paper, but there's just one little statement I wanted to, just one little sentence, because I didn't want to forget it, and I think it might touch all of us. And um, it says, holiness does not come from being removed from the world, but from engaging it, in it. And that is exactly what I think should have been done differently. To protect our health, we need to be part of the world. And if we are removed from it, we're only going to get mentally ill. We're going to separate each other from everything. So what could they have done? Well, tell us the truth. That would have been really great. And talked about our actual health, about vitamins and supplements. And how about playing outside, getting sunshine? How about hugging your children? How about going to see your loved ones? All of those things is what they should have done. They should have left our own health concerns or our own health um, solutions 
to ourselves. The government is overreaching and they should have no say on how we tend to our own personal health. I don't know if there's any questions from the uh, commissioners. Dr. Bernard Massey. Um, this is very touching. Um, I'm wondering how you're doing now. Did you gather a group of people around you that really helped you to uh, go through life? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, I do. I found. Um, I found some really incredible, solid people that um, love me unconditionally, and I'm extremely grateful. Um, I'm not. I'm not entirely healthy yet. I don't think any of us are. I think it's going to take a while for all of us in the sense that there's constant reminders all around us every single day of what this um, pandemic has put upon us. Um, but as for, like I say again, I, I am not in, um, I am, I'm in a place where I do love life, and I know that there is so much more that I, I have to do. So I'm not harming myself. I'm not looking to harm myself. Um, but my mental health definitely needs a little bit more um, love, I guess, in a matter of speaking. A little bit more hugs. <laughs> hugs are good. Um, because my confidence was taken away from me during that whole process, because um, that's kind of what they did to us, right? They tore our confidence down, and they, they, they forced us to be scared of people. I'm not scared of people, by the way. They're probably more scared of me, but thanks for asking. Yep, go ahead, Janice. I just want to say from my own experience that it's never too late to write that book and those hundreds of testimonies that you heard from people. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. And also, I was reading Proverbs 29 this morning, and I can tell you there's some interesting scriptures in there that you might actually enjoy. Uh, as far as the question, I'm just wondering, you did feel bullied by those in authority. Do you feel stronger for it, even with all of the mental health issues that have followed? But do you feel stronger that you were able to write the words um, that you're signing under, under duress, for example? Did that empower you? Did it empower me to be able to write those words under duress? Oh, absolutely. It actually did because uh, it, I think I would have um, handled my time in, um, I would have probably navigated the circumstance after in my head differently because it, it, words are powerful and we should be very mindful of our words at all times. Um, and uh, what really, um, it, it does show me that our justice system is broken and um, it is uh, not just in any form because if the words under duress, they shouldn't have followed through with any of those conditions because they would have been null and void and they weren't null and void. So it just lets me uh, come to the next conclusion. If the justice system is broke, I guess we have a lot of fixing to do. 
I'd have to say it needs to be torn down and put back together because um, we need to even change the word government because um, when you take those two words in Latin, it actually means mind control. And I don't think um, anybody governing us should have anything to do with controlling what we do, say, speak, or put into our body. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay, thank you, Ms. Vigner. Thank you. Thank you very much.